This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. Good morning. This morning we're going to be in Matthew 2, 13 through 23. Uh, we're talking about still divine instruction and fulfilled prophecies. That's what we've seen since the beginning of Matthew. There's a few verses we're going to find here that mirror Luke. But for the most part, Luke tells of one thing and Matthew tells of another. Two totally different recordings or records, I should say. And there's a reason behind each one as to the reason they did it the way they did um, Luke gives more details that Matthew doesn't, but Matthew is more talking about the, the divine instruction through angels, through dreams, and then the fulfilled prophecies just in the first two chapters, what's fulfilled. So this morning we're going to focus in on that. First, I'm going to have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each one who's gathered here. Lord, you see those who aren't able to be here who might listen to this podcast later. Father, we pray that you would touch them in their bodies, Lord, that you would give them the strength that they need to overcome those things, those infirmities in their body. If there's one who doesn't know you out there, Father, we pray for salvation. If there's one who's fighting uh, anything in their life, God, whether it be psychological, physical, spiritual, Lord, we just ask that you would move on their behalf. Thank you for this day and thank you for this people. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 2, starting in verse 13 starts out with the flight from Egypt. We know that last week when we left off, the Magi had been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, so they went another way. Because uh, Herod had said that he wanted to worship the Lord, the baby, the Messiah, but we all know good and well that what he wanted to do was kill him. So the angel came and warned them because the Magi didn't know. They didn't understand his reasoning behind it. But there, then again, they listened. That's another instance where you see more divine intervention and people who are listening to what God is saying. They're following his instructions. So we'll start in 13. I'll read, I'll read straight through and then we'll, we'll look at the word. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity, from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. 
So we'll go back to verse 13 and just look. <clears throat> it says, God often answers prayer and gives confirmation of his truths only to immediately lead you into the next season of trials for his sake. Now, don't forget that. Um, we're overcome with all kinds of adversity. That's just a reality. And we get, just as they did right here, all of these individuals come and worship the Lord Jesus. And we're going to see through Luke. It was much more than what Matthew records. So all of this has happened. This is all uh, gives them a greater understanding of who he is. Things are being fulfilled. The things they've heard from the Lord, the things they've heard from these different individuals, it's all coming to pass. That must have been a pretty exciting moment. I mean, for Joseph included, because Joseph is with a woman who says she was, you know, she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now, he, he, he listened to what the angel said, and he's done everything up to this point. But now all of this is coming true, what we're going to see in Luke as it, refer, as it refers to his mother Mary, what she had heard. But here's the thing. Victory is often short-lived in this life, but eternal bliss awaits those who persevere. It's not about... I know that we want to be on top of the mountain, and I do too, and I want God to grant me every single thing that I want. That is not a reality of the Christian life, and we know that all too well. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution comes in many forms, guys. It's not just being run through with a sword or hung or burned at the stake. We're battling in a world. The things that we battle are spiritual. We think that the battle's in the flesh, but it's actually not. It's just the only way that it can attack us is fleshly, because that's what we are. We're fleshly beings. But the attack is truly spiritual. And just we were talking the other night is your physical, your mental health, your spiritual health will affect your physical body. Because how do we manifest what's inside of us? The only way we have is through this, through this vessel that the Lord has given us. He's placed his spirit in this vessel. I cannot do as they did in times of old. I can't just conjure up a snake. I can't make fire rain down from heaven. Um, I can't do those things. Luckily, I, I will never put my hand inside my cloak and pull it out, and it'll be leprous, and I'll put it back in, and it'll come out clean. That's not how God moves in this time that we're in. He He speaks through his word. He speaks through his mouthpiece this, that give the gospel. But the truth of the matter is... Even the best among them in their time still underwent terrible, terrible trials. And they have these great, great victories. Elijah has a great victory, and then the next thing you know, he's under a juniper tree. That is who we are. That is what we are. But here's the thing is, we come from a long line of perseverers. And that's what I really want us to see through, through this study right here. It's not about how many times you get knocked down. We've all heard it's about how many times you get up. The Christian life is about perseverance. The Christian life is trusting that what God has meant for good is going to be good because it doesn't matter what comes against us. He has said, if you are called according to my purpose, he has good things for you. Now, those good things don't always look good because we look at things through fleshly eyes, right? And that is a big problem that we have as individuals. So I'll go back. Victory is often short-lived in this life, but eternal bliss awaits those who persevere. God sends word to Joseph just as he did to the Magi. Verses of confirmation before fleeing. We'll read again. <clears throat> Matthew 1, 20 through 23. We just read that. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we studied two weeks ago in 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Fulfillment of Scripture. I'm going to flip to Luke, and we're going to read the rest of it is out of Luke. Um, Luke gives the account of the other prophecies that were fulfilled and the divine instructions that were given by by man on the behalf of the Spirit of God. Which in Luke 1.26, Luke is a very long book. Luke chapter 1 is very long. Um, Jesus' birth is foretold again, Luke 1.26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So what's neat is, and we'll see that later in this, is where they began is where they ended up. Did they not? There's lots of places they could have settled, but the Lord brought them back to where they were. That happens a lot in our life too. And a lot of it is is mistakes that we've made, things that we haven't actually conquered in our life. I am the world's worst at this. I feel like I've gotten over that, I've gotten past that, only for it to pop back up. I did not get past that. There's things that I have to overcome in my life. Nobody else can do it for me. I wish Brother Scott could. I wish my wife could. I wish other people could, but they can't. They can be there. They can console me. They can love me. They can help me pray through, but I have to myself do that. Then again, it goes on. It says, uh, let's see. We're going to go. And coming in, he said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, listen, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That would be really awesome if God sent messengers now to literally tell us things and that's what my blessed assurance was in was an exact thing but it's not anymore that's not how that's not how this works it's by faith it's not by sight i don't need an angel to come to me to know that the things that god purposes in my life are going to happen it would be nice. i mean it would be nice i'm not I'm, i'm serious it would it would be nice for an angel to come and say hey brother matt the lord has proclaimed that this will happen, but he doesn't do that. And be very careful if, and leery of people who say that, because that is not the way that it works. I'm not saying God can't do what he wants, because he just said in here, for nothing will be impossible with God. But no, that's, that's not likely. That's not generally how that works, guys. God says this, it's not by faith. I mean, it is by faith, it's not by sight. Because if I can see it, where's the faith at? So... In Luke 1, 11 through 20, we see Zachar- Zacharias. He also gives uh, 
a word, which his is pretty. Okay, and outside of an hour of the incense offering, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of God, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedience to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What was what was he saying when he came out of the wilderness? I mean, he was calling for him to repent. I mean, he called him a den of vipers. I mean, he's, he's actually telling them that one of the last things is you need to show fruits meat of repentance. The axe is laid at the tree. Matthew 3, 10, 11. The axe is already laid at the tree. I mean, this thing is done. What side are you going to be on? Where will you be? Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you in because sorry, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. I love that. Zachariah asked for us, what, what sign is it? Gabriel's like, I'm an angel. Yeah, I stand. I, I literally stand in the presence of God. So now, here's your physical. Here, I, you got this, but here's you another physical sign. Shh, you don't speak again. So if you were to continue on, now he goes out and he's trying to explain all this without being able to talk. Uh, it, you know, his his tongue was cleaved to the roof of his mouth, and he was unable to talk, which is quite amazing. And that's Zacharias in Luke two eight eight through fourteen. <clears throat> we also see this is the shepherds. The shepherds in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you, listen to that, has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Amen. That's just another angelic sight. This, these are all things that, all of this stuff happened, and these individuals came to them. So understand, we're reading this because up to this point, before the, the angel comes to him and tells him, Hey, it's time to go. You've got to flee. Things are really great right now, guys. I mean, he knows that his wife is his wife. He knows that she was a virgin, that she was filled with. This is Christ the King. This is the one. And and this baby has been born to them. So I would think they're at a pretty high point at this point in the in the in the testimony. One in thirty nine of Luke. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, who told her that? God told her that. It's the same, the same, the same exact thing that 
or I should say person, entity that told Peter who was Christ. He said, no man has revealed that to you. God has revealed that to you, Peter. There's no way that anyone could have known he was the Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, save God told him. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Wow. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. A fulfilled prophecy. And I, I, I know that it's not. We understand that it's extra biblical if we want to say it. But I, that's one of the reasons that I like watching the, um, oh my gosh, now I can't say it. Ma'am? The Chosen. The chosen. Because whenever you see them meet one another, if you haven't gotten to that place, it's really, really awesome to see. They they knew each other, if you want to say, before they knew each other outside of the womb. Jesus knew everybody because everything was created through him, for him, and by him, and nothing was created. Jesus knew who he was before he was ever even in his mother's womb. But even even John, it says, leapt at the, because he knew that his Lord, this baby that's in the womb, knew that his Lord had entered the room. That's pretty amazing. I mean, people, the Lord visits, the Lord comes to people, and people don't even know it that are grown people, that are churched individuals. And this fetus knew that his Lord had entered the room. Yeah. That's pretty magnificent. Mm-hmm. And then the last is... I like how Elizabeth wasn't left out either. No, no, not she's, at all. She's filled too. She's filled too. So then in Luke 2, 25 through 38, we have Simeon and Anna. <clears throat> this is just more fulfillment. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law then he took him into his arms and blessed him and said now lord you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of peoples a light of revelation to the gentiles and the glory of your people israel and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end, <clears throat> that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to Him, of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Yet another one. But up to this point, the reason I say all this is we go back and look at that because what's fixing to happen it's all, all that's finished. The joyous, this is our child, everything is perfect, that, that is over now. That will never happen again. At this moment, they're at the height of, I can't imagine what it must have felt like 
to, to see all this unfolding. All these things that they've heard, all these things that they know are culminating in this moment. And these men from far off come and worship their son. Shepherds, people come. It's, it's a wonderful time. It's like when a baby's born and everybody shows up at the hospital. Or you have your first time you bring your baby home and everybody comes over to see. But imagine that happens and then instantly the Lord comes to you and says, Now leave. Now leave all of these people, leave everyone you know, leave your home, leave everything behind. You've got to leave. And you've got to flee. Everything's changed now. Everything, sadly. So then in 2 and 14, I'm sorry, um, I'm going to start back in 13 and read. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So he leaves in the night as to be unseen. But why Egypt? That was interesting. I wondered that. Where was the largest library in the world? In Alexandria, Egypt, where is right now the largest? They just rebuilt it. It is amazing. But there was more books there than what we call our library of Congress, the library we have here, the archives and all. The archives of the world were in Alexandria at one time until it burned. Every single everything, this is where it was kept. Fulfillment of, he leaves in the night so as not to be seen, but why Egypt? Firstly, to fulfill a prophecy over 700 years old, which I think is pretty exceptional in itself. Hosea tells us about this. In Hosea 11.11, we get the prophecy. Over 700 years before, 11.11 says this, They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. After the, during the Babylonian, after they had been captured and taken away, those who could get away, Alexandria, Egypt was always a safe haven for the Jews. Matter of fact, when they did the census around 40 AD, a little after Christ's death, there was over a million Jews that lived there. That was their place of habitation. And the reason was when they had been exiled, those that got away, they knew they could go there and they could be safe. And because of the... Because of the library and because there was a lot of philosophy, there was a lot of intelligent people there, and they were trying to catalog the known world at that time and all of the the works of the world, the written works of the world. It was it was a hub of knowledge, and it was a different atmosphere than most places in the, that, that region during the time. And they were rich. I mean, it was a rich place. They were using slavery, um, just a reality. So Alexandria was a safe haven for Jews during the period of the Roman rule. I didn't know this, but the Septuagint was translated from Hebrew to Greek in 300 B.C. in Alexandria. And that is exactly, when we read the New Testament, that is what they are quoting, is the Septuagint. So every time that we, when we read the New Testament and we see this, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, that is the Septuagint. That 300 years before the birth of Christ, according to the way that works, it was already it had already been transliterated from Hebrew to Greek, so that whenever it, Christ came, and it was accepted that it was a good transliteration, 
so that whenever Christ came, those apostles and those who would write His Word could go back and cite the Septuagint to make it valid. What's, what, what makes it valid is that the Septuagint was reliable. It was a relied upon source for over 300 years by the known world. That's exceptional. That's just more that God's providence. He leaves nothing to chance. They didn't just put the Septuagint together the year before Christ died on the cross. It had been over 300 years and it was accepted, which is uh, that's just amazing to me there again. So then we go to 16. This is where everything kind of turns. It's violent. That's just the truth. From this moment on, the beginning of centuries of bloodshed over the Messiah to this day. Blood was shed before over religion. Blood was shed before because this this culture and this group was against this one. Our God sent them in to destroy. But understand, even to this day, it's just a reality. Nothing happens unless God allows it. Right? So God sent them in to do those things. God sent them to those places to do those things. But the reason that there's bloodshed to this day, it's all about, it's all Jesus. Everything is about the Messiah. The fights that are happening, the infighting, the battling, because it's spiritual warfare now. Because the Savior of the world has touched foot on the earth. And now the battle, but, but the battle, the Word tells us, I know 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians, our battle is what? Our battle is spiritual. It's in our mind. But how is all that working? It's working in the physical. That's how it manifests itself. So beginning in 16, 2 and 16, then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity for two, from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. So the beginning, this is the beginning of the bloodshed. Now, um, if we look at it historically, because that's what I like to do that. I know Brother Scott loves to do that. I like to look back at history. History records a, a various array of numbers for the number of children that were killed. And it's really skewed. I mean, anywhere from just a, just 10 or 12 all the way to 144,000. It depends on who was recording the history. But the fact is, Jewish scholars and those who study it on this side of Christ's death have studied and looked back. The number of people that were in Bethlehem was small. Bethlehem and even its surrounding area was very small. It wasn't large. It wasn't a great huge city. So for there to be between the age of zero and two and male was a very small number. Probably 15 or less. That's what they deduce. And there's there's two of the writers during that time that were Christian. As they both record and whatever, they did not record it at all. It's not recorded in history at all that Herod had the children killed. It's not in there. Now, there's several reasons that they think that's true. Because at that time, the number of Jews that were being slaughtered, the number of Jews that were actually being killed was unbelievable. And also, it would be like today if a small town in some place there was five or six people killed, 
But there was a mass shooting at a mall somewhere, which is going to get more press time. The mass shooting is. But Herod was a very evil man. And Herod, even during his time, he had several of his children and his wives put to death. So him killing people didn't make, it it didn't really make the rounds. It wasn't a big deal because he was a tyrant. He was a very evil person. So uh, according to everything that I could read, like I say, they figure it was somewhere around 15 because there were less than 15,000 inhabitants in the whole entire area that they're talking about. So then whenever you start going by the age and you go from zero to two, then you figure it's only males. That's what they figure, 50, roughly 15 children. It was a low enough number that it didn't, it didn't catch on Yeah, anywhere. it, it didn't. It, he wanted it that way and was able to do it because that would never have went. It went against the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Yeah. Like, Herod was put in by the Romans. The emperor would have never gave a green light to, to do that. Yeah. So that was Herod trying to make himself a king when he wasn't even a king to begin with. Yeah. But it was a low enough number that he was able to keep it keep it undercover. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a slaughter because what happened is what happened. But, but as I've heard it many a time, it was... Just this egregious amount, and thank God it was not an egregious amount, according to according to what hit, what the historians say now when they look back at the size of of uh, the size of the the area, the whole entire area, not just not just where they were. So I'll read that once again. Then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi. He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Sadly, he had lost, even he at that time, Brother Scott alluded to it, he had lost his capacity to even control his own emotions and affections. He was so mad because he had been tricked by them that he just, he lost any, he lost any anything that he had or self-control that he had, he lost because, as you had said, several of the things I read, he would have gotten in a lot of trouble yeah, he, he he didn't have the authority to do what he did. but And then near the end of his life, you continue reading about him, he actually lost his mind near the end of his life. Uh, trouble followed him. After he did this, his life got exponentially worse at a very rapid pace. The last is 19 through 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fill what the spoken what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be a Nazarene. Once again, an angel brings Joseph an announcement. That's in these first two chapters over and over. That is so amazing. As Sister Tabbitt said, it would be nice if God would do that now. I agree. It would be awesome if the Lord came, spoke a word, because then you know 100%. How do I know that's going to happen? Because I have proof in his word that once it's spoken, it's going to take place. He is then warned by God in a dream. That's not the first time. Then a prop. This is the... I've never noticed this before, but... Let's read the very last one. 17. Then what had been spoken... I'm sorry. I'm on the wrong one. 
It says this in 23, and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, plural. He shall be called a Nazarene. You will never find that anywhere in the Bible because it is not there. It is, it is, it is not there. It is legitimate. It did happen, but it is not there. I find that that is one of those things where people will take that and they'll run with it and say, well, if it's, if it's not directly quoted and there's not a tie back to it, how do you know it's true? Because I believe the Word of God. Because I believe that what Matthew said, it was so well known because it wasn't just a singular prophet. You notice it says prophets, plural. It was to fill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So it was, it was kind of like the things that we know now. That's, that's what I was talking about last week, about understanding the culture and the times. There's things that you and I know that we can hear, and it, that's when we were growing up. That's, that's the things that were happening when we were there. And so we know instinctively what it is, whereas Caitlin is young enough, she has no idea what we're even talking about. But during that time, there was no need. They saw no need to say that. It was taken at face value. This is what they prophesied that he would be called a Nazarene. And then we'll go just one step further and glean on that and say this, a Nazarene is not a Nazarite. Because a lot of people get that confused. A Nazarene is a person of Nazareth, just as an American is a person that's an inhabitant of America. A Nazarite is someone who's taken a vow. A Nazarite is what John the Baptist was. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair. He, he, he could only, there were only certain things that he could eat. He could not drink wine. He could not touch grapes. He could not eat grapes. It was a vow that you took to God. So there is a distinction. Not to say that Jesus Christ did, could have never, he could have taken a Nazarite vow. I can't tell you that he did or didn't. We know that we can read in the Word where Paul did. But Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene based on the fact that he lived in Nazareth. So, thank you for your attentiveness, guys. Next week, we will start in chapter 3, and that's going to be John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you.